you know, because people who are working in this world who are actively, you know, doing the sexual violence response on campus, they're like, when we get a report or when we get like a critical incident like that, like we're not even interested in getting the police involved right away. We're not interested in looking at the policy. The thing we're interested in is making sure that the survivors are helped and that they're safe. Welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. I am your host, Todd Rennebaum. Thank you for joining me for another week and another episode. It's another great one. Uh, this week I'm speaking with a friend of mine named Robin Hilton, and she's a pleasure expert and feminist sex coach slash educator, uh, and just a really great person. Uh, so yeah, we talk about how mental health affects sex and how sex affects mental health and just how, uh, the, the two are very connected. We actually ended up talking for so long and we still didn't touch on everything that we could touch on. Uh, but it's a huge subject, sex and mental health and mental wellness and mental illness. And that uh, we're actually going to I had to split it into two parts. So this is part one. Part two, we'll come back to it. We'll come, we'll come back in about a month or so and, and play that part so you don't get all wore out on, on sex. Because next week, I, it's another wonderful episode. I'm speaking with Jessica Buchanan, and she was kidnapped by Somalian land pirates in Somalia, and she spent three months out in the desert uh, with dudes and with guns who were looking to get a bunch of money for her. And she has a new book out, and we'll, we'll talk about that next week. The week after that, I'm talking with Ashley Collingbull, and she is a, an indigenous lady who is also a former or she still is, a former uh, Miss Universe. And she grew up on a reservation for a part of her life, and she was just dirt poor, and she talks about uh, indigenous life and uh, you know some of the traumas and things she had to get through. And now she's a successful model and actress and all types of stuff. Uh, and then the week after that, I'm speaking with Jane, and she's a bit of a pioneer in the subject matter uh, called maladaptive daydreaming. Um, it's I'm kind of new to this. I just heard about it maybe six months ago or so, and it's basically the addiction to daydreaming. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, I I won't get too much into it right now, but it, it's she's a wonderful guest and just a fascinating conversation. Please stick around after the episode. I'll be doing some oh some jibber jabbering. Uh, I'll be talking about some upcoming stuff and uh, maybe some comments and stuff like that. Uh, before we listen to Robin, though, I just want to throw out there, if you think someone could benefit from this podcast, please tell people, tell tell your friends, share it, share the podcast with, with folks you think would like it, who may be able to relate, uh, who might get some help from it, who, you know, could use it as a resource of some kind or whatever. Yeah, please share. It'd be much appreciated if, if everybody that listened to this episode could tell three people about what a wonderful podcast it is. I hate asking for help, so uh, yeah, but I need some help. Anyway, without further ado, uh, I give you Robin Hilton. While I am a sexual health professional, I am not a mental health professional. So my thoughts are more around, uh, so what I see folks 
uh, struggling with when it comes to their sexuality, if, uh, you know, in relation to their mental health. And, uh, and it's a lot. I mean, and, you know, I kind of, I could put it into a few different categories, but, you know, if we were to sort of like, you know, do sort of an eagle eye look at the whole, uh, the whole topic, you know, it's first, you know, how mental health impacts sexuality, how sexuality impacts mental health. And then also looking at, um, you know, the impact of mental health treatments on sexuality, because that's definitely something that we probably as a culture don't talk about enough uh, and don't like offer or seek out solutions enough for that. And then also like, um, you know, how uh, things like sexual and gender diversity are how mental health is impacted because of the the stigmatization or because of you know homophobia transphobia and how folks are are um, impacted by that so those are kind of like broad areas in which i see people being impacted and then you know we can kind of look into you know if we were to look into mental health and sexual health we look at like all of the different ways people experience uh, difficulties in their mental health or the, you know, mental, you know, mental health diagnoses and how each of those interacts with sexual health in a totally different way. So is it a big topic? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I figured, I I thought, you know, this might even be a two-parter or (laughs) we may have to talk about it. You know, like it's, it's, there's so much to talk about. And I think it's, uh, I, I, you know, just kudos to you for uh, bringing this topic into um, into the space because I think it's, you know, the more we can talk about it openly, the more we can uh, ask questions, share stories, uh, and create a space for comfort when talking about sexuality. I think the more we can uh, open, like, open the door for people to have better experiences both within, you know, inside their mental health experiences, but also inside their sexual experiences. Right. Well, thank you mm-hmm. for the kudos. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, and kudos to you for uh, doing this work. Because yeah. uh, I, yeah. I think it I is important. It. And um, mm-hmm. well, in a lot of ways, like um, mental health was kind of a taboo topic for a long time. It's getting yeah. a lot better, but I think sex still is in a lot of ways, taboo. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess there is that commonality. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Wh- so I'm trying to think of like, what would be the first kind of <laughs> Where do we breakdown? Go yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll just throw it out there. Like when I was a young guy uh, in high school and I mean, already had kind of depressive episodes and anxiety and stuff. And then to be a virgin (laughs) and like, I see my friends having sex with girls and like girls now, you know, I grew up in a small town. So like the girls in the small town, not really wanting anything to do with me because for whatever reason, it was a, it was a real, I mean, it was one of the reasons why I think I was having depressive episodes. I mean, of course there's a lot going on but that was one of the things I think um mm-hmm. is that normal like a lot of young people have mental health issues yeah. because of 
they're not getting laid. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, what's really interesting about that is I think like, um, first, just sort of what our expectations are uh, around uh, what it means to be having sex, right? And I think, again, it's like when we like, ultimately, we have a culture that is, I would say, not sex positive, it's pretty sex negative as a whole. And so we're kind of like tossed into this really strange uh, relationship with sexuality, you know, at a young age where it's, you know, we see it in like, you know, in movies or on TV or like in advertising, you know, there's a lot of media, but it's like a very particular kind of sexuality. Generally, it's it's very um, heteronormative, like it's definitely, uh, you know, uh, attract and, and like you know certain kinds of body types and certain kinds of people are attractive and certain kinds of things are attractive uh, so we have like this sort of media portrayal of sex and sexuality and then we have a culture that doesn't actually talk about what it's really like <laughs> to be in relationships and to be having sex and to be having sex as a young person as well and so you know we in that space of you know first like having like a uh, expectation around what we should be experiencing and then the second part of that is like shame right and shame just thrives in these spaces of isolation right where we don't talk about it <laughs> and so then in our head we we create these stories around what it means not to be having sex not to be in a relationship not to be connecting with people in that way and i think that's really where it starts to impact our mental health and i think we're and, you know, and I mean, when you talk about like stigmatization around mental health, it's the same thing, right? Like you're experiencing struggles in your mental health, you see in like what people are supposed to behave like. And then if you're not experiencing that, but there's nowhere to talk about that, then you start to internalize all of that stuff. And then that impacts you in a, in a negative way. And I would say anything that's stigmatized or has shame um, that goes along with it is going to probably impact our our mental health in the in the long run when we're not having those conversations. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, well, and I think being already kind of susceptible to anxiety and depression as a teenager that didn't help because i yeah. i was very good at spiraling like i'm like i'm 17 years old i'm still a virgin i will never have sex and it's like i'm 17 <laughs> like, yeah e totally easy buddy <laughs> easy yeah <laughs> you know? and totally uh, yeah and and like that whole the whole incel thing yeah it's like yeah. young people can definitely you know get comfort on the extremes Right. Yeah. And that's why people yeah. join like even like um, skinhead groups and stuff when they're young, because they, they, they have that all or nothing kind of spiral thinking. And so anyway, mm -hmm. um, I've yeah. I've heard some incel things as like, you know, I, I kind of related. I mean, I didn't relate. like I, I didn't yeah. want to go and, you know, yeah. cause a terrorist attack. But uh, but I did feel yeah. like stupid, pretty girls don't like me and mm -hmm. stupid chads or whatever they call them. I don't know. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's, uh, uh, again, you know, it's, it's our sexuality is just part of who we are. Like, you know, it's not, we can't separate that out from, from who we are. And, uh, so when we don't, 
talk about that stuff. We just open doorways for uh, harmful and problematic uh, influence to come in and and to kind of hijack those feelings. And, you know, I think that pipeline um, from, you know, young um I guess, potentially like outcast or even, you know, young boys who are experiencing um, um, mental health struggles or isolation in any regard, like that pipeline from there into like, you know, alt-right extremism, incel, all of that. Like, I think that that's like something that we need to actually think about and talk about and pay attention to because, you know, you're right. When people feel like they don't fit in that's the perfect opportunity for someone to you know kind of swoop in and and be like hey you could you could come over here this is where you belong and you know finding that common enemy which is women right for for a lot of these uh young men and that's actually really scary because it ends up just perpetuating uh misogyny and and the the harmful behavior that you know that women you know growing up as you know, as sexual beings have to deal with too, right? Like it's like this hyper-sexualization of our bodies and and whatnot, but then also like the, um, you know, if we actively like want to engage in sex, it's like immediate, like, oh, you're a slut or, oh, there's, you know, there's something wrong with you. So it's like, you know, it's a lose-lose really situation for for folks. And I I think that's changing, you know, and I see that when I go and talk to young people in schools and talk about sex, like they're pretty open and they're pretty curious and they're having sex and they're open about the fact that they're having sex Uh, and young girls too. Um, Like not young girls. I say that I should qualify that. (laughs) Wait, what? Um, Teenagers. (laughs) So, you know, grade nine and up, you know, I've had conversations with, you know, grade nine students and up and, you know, they they're open about the fact that they're having sex and it's it's so refreshing to have those conversations where they can ask questions that um you know maybe they're not going to get answered you know in like sort of traditional kind of like school settings or in in a home and it's like these are important questions that help them to um become you know healthy or balanced sexual um uh beings so yeah it's uh so much. <laughs> I mean, we're just scratching the surface yeah. here. But, you know, when I think about um, one thing that sort of came up for me as you were talking is like specifically ADHD, because that's something that um, you talk openly about having and like how, um, you know, one thing that, you know, I certainly for me with ADHD that I've experienced is uh, rejection sensitivity disorder, right? So this idea that like you're always trying to mitigate people's perception of you and you can't do that, right? Like you can't actually control how people perceive you yet you're always in that sort of like game of trying to to do that. And uh, when it doesn't go the way that you think or like you read like so much more into what people are thinking, like again, like and that really plays out in like in relationships and in especially in sexual relationships. And then you add on to that, like, um, you know, if someone does like have an interest in you. 
Um, you add on to that, like the tendency to hyper-focus. So you can do that absolutely with a person too, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so then that person just becomes like your obsession. Um, so, you know, like there's all these like things, these um, behaviors that like, if you don't know you have ADHD, you're again going to internalize like, why, why am I so weird? Like, why am I like, you know, and nobody likes me and no one, you know, and that can really, um, I think, create long-term um, negative effects on mental health. Wow. Thanks for yeah. saying that stuff because that's another thing of ADHD. I haven't like piece of, you know, I'm, I'm living my life backwards now that I've had this diagnosis and it's like, I'm picking up all this stuff. And it's like, that's something I never did pick up on was, was that because, you know, I'm sitting here thinking back to my, my uh, grade 12 girlfriend. That's like the first girlfriend I had. And it was like, I think I was too much for her. Like I said, I love you yeah. like after a week and she was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, easy buddy. I was love bombing, you know, but, but it wasn't like, uh, you know, red flag re love bombing. It was ADHD, uh, you know, love yes. bombing. And so we're, we're both ADHD. So this conversation can yeah. be all over the place, but, yeah. um, I, I interviewed, uh, someone that used to be part of Scientology so cults mm -hmm. kind of do the same thing yeah. as that, you know, oh, this person's vulnerable right now. Like we're talking about young people that are like, you know, vulnerable and they're hyper thinking and stuff. And so it's like, bloop. and yeah. I also talked to a, a Columbine survivor who uh, she does a lot of work with school shootings. And she said, you know, like the young male, it's a young male problem too. And it's like, yeah. now I'm, pe as we're sitting here talking, it's like maybe if all these young dudes had sex with that like stop school shootings like you know what i mean like i'm piecing I'm, I'm kind of oversimplifying everything but but still is like you know but in a way it's like who knows maybe if these young dudes did have girlfriends there'd be a lot yeah. less school shootings yeah well i mean this is like actually no i think like wh what you're touching in on is important because it's like i don't think it's necessarily that like um they should feel like they um like having sex might not be what helps them but feeling normalized in their thoughts and their feelings related to sexuality or related to like um you know like big emotions like connection and right yeah yeah like intimacy love um attachment um, that like that, I think if we were to like actually go there with young men, I think we'd have a lot more success in terms of, um, you know, having them have like an outlet that wasn't violence. Right. Um, but yeah, like, I think that that's like such a key, um, piece to look at is like, how are we, um, you know, how are we socializing young people, period? Like, you know, we, you know, number one, uh, we tend to, as a culture, um, you know, really focus on like gender binary as a socialization, like boys are this way and girls are this way. <laughs> and, and, you know, not fitting into that can be really hard for folks. And then we tend to also socialize, you know, it's funny, because you see, like, um, you know, now this whole, uh, 
this whole movement to like call uh, like drag queens and um, and people who are advocating for transgender rights to call them groomers, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Yet it's like, you know, who is the one asking a young like six-year-old girl if she has a boyfriend yet? I just saw a meme that was saying something like that. 100% that, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And it's, I think it's just so important to like, to have those conversations about, um, you know, how we're socializing young people into, you know, ideas about like sex, sexuality, gender, um, and like sexual orientation that are, uh, that are super limiting and, you know, putting people in these boxes. And, you know, I think when you don't fit in to that box, whether that's because you have, you know, ADHD or like any kind of other, you know, mental illness, or you are, um, just don't fit into the box because you you simply are outside of what we think, you know, people should be like, Um, you know, that is always going to be like a negative, like a sort of a net negative influence on someone's mental health. Hmm. Do you normally work with young people or do you work with people of all ages with their sexual, with, was it sexual sex coach? Is that what you are? Yeah. So I, you know, I, I'm really lucky in the sense that, you know, my work is spans like quite a broad range. So I have my business where inside my business, I work generally with women who are like millennial Gen X age women. And, you know, because there's a lot going on for, you know, millennial, not as much, but Gen X, like so much going on uh, related to sexuality for, um, so I work with women in that age category in my business. And that's, you know, most of that is focused on uh, sexual desire, overthinking, uh, that that kind of stuff. Uh, and then my job, my day job <laughs> that I do is at uh, the, um, from the University of Virginia Students Union. So then I just teach sex education to, um, to university age um, people, young people. And uh, that doesn't, you know, it's, there is like some Q&A and direct response, but it's more like just giving them the resources and, you know, the safer sex supplies and the things they need to, um, to have, um, you know, a healthy and uh, happy uh, sex life. One of the things that uh, I do educate a ton about, which, you know, I always say like my uh, goal in my job is to um, never have to talk about this in university, but it's consent. Right? I have to talk about consent like all the time because um, it's it's not part of the curriculum for in Saskatchewan specifically for school age to even like consent like unless they've got a good teacher who's going to talk about that, it's not a requirement in the curriculum. Hmm. to talk about consent. So, and, and pleasure isn't either. So, you know, you have to have like a good teacher. And then I have people who reach out to me and say, hey, can you come talk to my class? Because a lot of teachers are expected to teach about sexuality and to teach their sex ed program 
And they are like super uncomfortable with that. You know, I had a, an incident last year where my daughter came home uh, with like a sheet of question sheets um, from school uh, from her sex ed class. And it was like all like purity culture stuff. And I was like, what is this? What are you learning? And so she told me all the things that she had learned in this class with the teacher who was really deeply uncomfortable teaching about sexuality. And I messaged one of her teachers right away. I'm like, what is going on? And, and so the teacher brought me in to come, come and teach about sex in the same class so that they could ask their questions. And, you know, they had great questions. And so, um, you know, every once in a while I get to go do that. And we just do an open-ended Q&A. And honestly, that's like, if I could spend every day, all day doing that, I would be so happy. It's just some of the most rewarding work is just creating a space where you know, young people get to talk about, um, you know, and, and their biggest question is, am I normal? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, is so what bizarre. I'm experiencing normal? Yeah. It, mm -hmm. and I mean, young people have the questions, am I normal about every subject that you can think of in your brain? <laughs> like, yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, that's, well, actually I, I talked to a, 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 um, a gay friend of mine for the podcast and I was like, I don't know if he said it on the podcast or if he just said it to me in general, but he's like, because I have two young boys and it's like, so how, how do I get them to like, if if they're gay, like, what do I do? He's like, you, you can't just be okay with them being gay. You have to let them know, like, like yeah. if you, if you are gay, no matter what you are, like, it's okay. We love you. And like, we're supportive and not just in your mind be like, oh, that's fine. If, if they are gay, if they come out gay, cause they don't know they, you, you like, if they don't know, then they don't know. So you have to tell them younger, um, yeah. that everything's fine and that you're normal. Yeah. And so, so just, yeah, that, that's amazing that yeah. so many young people have that question. Like, is this normal? Yeah. And, and it is, yeah. but no, and we just assume that they think it's normal, but because they've never heard that they don't know. So yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. And you know, like, it's really interesting because like, you know, one of the questions I got asked a lot from young girls uh, is, um, you know, they're concerned because sex is hurting. And, um, and it's like, because, you know, pleasure is never taught in school. And, uh, you know, they're not taught how to, to experience like, good sex or pleasure or what needs to happen. And then we have young boys who don't get the same thing yet. Yet they do tend to look to pornography to learn about sex and to learn, <laughs> learn about, you know, and, and so then they come in with this like sort of like totally incorrect idea about what sex is like pornography is just entertainment. It's not a real depiction of sex at all and great for entertainment, not so great for sex ed <laughs> yet. You know, so we get these things, you know, these um, situations where, you know, they're not um, able to engage in a way that's like, you know, Reality. supportive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so then it's like, and then young girls are experiencing pain and they don't know if that's normal or, or not. And like, what can I do about it? And then, you know, and they haven't heard like that there actually are like things like vaginismus, which can actually be causing them pain. And they would maybe even need to see a doctor about that. So it's like those kinds of questions. And then I just want to go back to gotta love mm -hmm. ADHD. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go back to the conversation about coming out because mm -hmm. one of the things that, you know, that I really um, feel, um, you know, that I've really tried to do in our house is to create a space where 
my kids just didn't need to come out to me. You know, that if they brought home a boy or a girl, wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't matter because we just talk, we talk all the time, you know, about sexuality, not in heterosexual terms. Um, and we talk, you know, we talk about, you know, gender, not in binary terms. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, we at, you know, for a good portion of the year, we'll hang a pride flag, maybe not in the winter, so it doesn't get ruined, but like, we'll hang a flag outside the house. And, you know, like we would have, um, you know, a space where it just feels like it's, just as um you know it just doesn't matter like who you are sexually is like who you are and it doesn't it doesn't you know and i'd love to see that in the world that it's like it's not like a uncomfortable or awkward conversation to tell somebody that that you are are not heterosexual like i think like me that would be ideal but that takes like a whole shift in culture which i'm not you know i'm I'm not sure that everyone is really ready for, but, but we need to, I mean, we need to just normalize these conversations and, and be open about it. Yeah. I, I know, uh, someone I'm very close with their son is gay and it was like, they, they posted something on Facebook that made it obvious. And mm-hmm. I asked their dad, I'm like, Oh, your, your son came out. He's like, well, no, he just is. You know, yeah. and I was like, and it took yeah. it took me a few minutes to like, what do you mean? He, I was like, oh, uh, oh, yeah, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah right, okay. He's like, no, it's just he, it's not like he was hiding anything. He just he just is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I thought that was really cool. Uh, the other thing is like, um, I've always considered like a sexual preference as like. Like un, you unnecessarily have to label it, but I, I get it. Like if like gay pride and, you know, there's a lot of pride in it because of the turmoil from the past, mm-hmm. but it would be cool to just like almost get rid of that label of gay, lesbian, whatever, because it's um, like to me, it's like if I only like really heavy women, it's not like I, I have a name for it or, or there's mm-hmm. a flag for it or there's, you know, all this stuff for it. It's mm-hmm. like, I like who, who cares? Like I, mm-hmm. so I like, yeah. I, I have a preference of people I love and I have sexual desire for, and it's like, yeah, but yeah, but I and get I it. I get like, why there's, there's yeah. that label, but. The one thing that I think, you know, is really important to talk about is like, I think that identity, like really understanding ourselves in like, in terms of our like sexual identity our gender identity like those are like kind of key pieces to who we are one of the things that i um teach a lot uh both to the adults that i coach and to the young people that i uh, work with is the importance of like things that we just actually we never really think about or we never really learn about or even explore yet are like kind of foundational to our uh, ability to to see ourselves sexually or to uh, to exist in the world as sexual beings and it's like the first thing is our values right so being able to understand what our sexual values are i'm a 10 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but when we grow up, right? Like it, you know, depending on what your 
family was like, like some people grow up with really, you know, purity culture values or like they grow up in the church. And so they've got these sort of like values that kind of hang over them as they're going about their lives. And if you never actually sit down to say like, do I actually agree with those values? Like, you know, you may be doing things in your life that show that you don't agree, but have you actually taken the time to define like, what are your sexual values? And um, being able to do that can help you to kind of realize that you don't need to like carry the values of someone else with you into your relationships, into your sexuality. You can actually, you can decide for yourself. So that's the first one. And the second one is um, desires, right? So that's where we talk about like, you know, it's, it doesn't matter what you desire, as long as it's consensual, as long as, you know, you're operating in a space of, of um, like co-created desire, you know, if you're planning to do something with someone else, you know, that you check in, but like what you want is important. And so if you want to, you know, if you are attracted to a particular kind of body, it's good to know that, you know, it's Mm -hmm. good to label that. It's good to understand that if you are, you know, if you desire to have sex with a particular gender, it's good to know that, like, it's good to really get a sense of like who you are. Because when you know what your values are, and you know what your desires are, then you can really be confident in your boundaries, right? And you can say yes to the experiences that align, and you can then say no to the experiences that don't align. And I think that that's a really, um, that's something that I think a lot of people are maybe missing. And like, that's something, you know, where we, you know, we sort of lean into like the consent conversations, right? And uh, we're able to, uh, you know, more confidently ask for what we want, but we're also more confidently able to say like, no, I definitely don't want to do that. So, uh, and, you know, all of that is, you know, that, that ability to understand yourself. I think, you know, if we were to kind of go back to that core of mental health, I think that's so important when you're sort of jumbled up with everyone else's ideas of who you are, it can be really hard to like clearly find your path in the world. Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I get it. I I said it was like labels. Maybe that wasn't the right word. Cause yeah. Um, cause yeah, it's like, it's like with my own mental health, like someone was saying, something the other day about ADHD and it was a label and stuff. It's like, fuck you. I love that label because now I get it. Yeah. It's like, ah, this is yeah. me. This is my yes. tribe. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I get there's it. A, and there's a clarity in that, right? Like yeah. that like this helps me to define like, you know, how I engage with the world around me. And that, you know, that's important. And I, you know, and I think like when we you know, we see that like even, you know, in, in diagnosis, right? Like it's important to get a diagnosis. I think, you know, that that's, uh, that I always thought like, you know, I spent so long kind of in a space of um, rejecting like kind of like, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, science. <laughs> <laughs> In my early years of parenting, you know, it was like so much 
of that time is sort of spent like wanting to like, oh no, like, you know, the, you know, the evil pharmaceutical, blah, 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 you know, like <laughs> right, I spent yeah. so long in that space. Um, and it was a real like eye opener for me to like, you know, even when I got my ADHD diagnosis, I was like, I don't need meds. I don't know. <laughs> I'll be, I'm fine. Like, you know, um, but like, as I've sort of like grown up a little and actually like becoming a sex educator was a huge part of that because like, evidence-based education is important like you need science to help people <laughs> and, and I, like it dawned on me I was like oh okay diagnosis and like understanding who we are and like really like knowing our place in the world super important now how many people do you talk to that has what am I trying to say here um so sexual trauma, so someone that's been abused or yeah. molested or been in a shitty relationship or, you know. Um, yeah. 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 That, that whole stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. that must, or, or even someone who has a partner that's gone through that. That, yeah. I mean, both people are then, you know, mm -hmm. affected because yeah. sex is so important that mental health and vice versa is like, oh man, I just want to do this with my wife and it's, I'm not asking much and she's, or, or he or whatever, or they, or whatever. Um, do, do you yeah. deal with a lot of that or have you come across a lot of that? I always come across it. It's constant, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, the key, you know, for me in my work is that, um, you know, that I have to be trauma informed. I'm not a trauma therapist. And so I am um, fortunate to know some really great trauma therapists that I can refer people to uh, when I need to. Um, but it's, you know, I would say, you know, out of every 10 clients that come to me for support, eight or nine have experienced some kind of sexual assault or sexual abuse. It's, I, I mean, it's, it is such, uh, it's way too common, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, the impact on sexuality is, is massive, you know, and it can impact in so many different ways. Um, and, you know, it, it's not something that just resolves on its own either, right? Like you need you need to, um, you know, I think it's, you know, therapy, um, doing the work, um, you know, getting the support out there is, is so key. Um, one of the things I attended something last week, um, it was about like how like universities can respond to like sort of more larger cases of, of, um, sexual assault on campus. So I'm thinking like last year, Oh, where it was in London, there was like at the beginning of the school year, there was like a big party and a, there was like a whole bunch of like sexual assaults on campus. And I don't want to say the wrong school, but it was somewhere in Ontario. And so it was like, you know, this huge big deal. And my mind immediately went to um, like, we need to punish this, you know, we need to, you know, like I, it meant to like, what is the school doing? Like what's happening at the school? What are the policies? Like blah, 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 blah. But I had like a huge reframe um, last week, um, you know, because people who are working in this world who are actively, you know, doing the sexual violence response on campus, they're like, when something like that happens, like when we get a report 
or when we get, you know, a, you know, a mass, like a critical incident like that, like, we're not even interested in getting the police involved right away. We're not interested in looking at the policy. The thing we're interested in is making sure that the survivors are helped and that they're safe. And I thought like, you know, that, you know, is how I think we can move forward as, you know, as to sort of mitigate those long-term effects is like when something happens, our focus needs to be on the survivors. And that's something I think that was that's missing. And I think that's why, you know, so many of the people who come to me who've experienced some kind of, you know, sexual abuse, sexual assault, um, even like, you know, relationships where they were having sex when they didn't want to. I mean, that is like over and over and over again, like sort of a, you know, a boundary is being crossed. And, um, you know, when you don't like when those things like aren't talked about when, you know, you're keeping secrets, when, you know, like when that stuff is so hush hush, you don't have that immediate trauma response and that support to, to integrate it right away and to like deal with the trauma. So, so as to mitigate its long-term effects. So it's, uh, yeah, like, you know, so I think, you know, in my work, I see some of those long-term effects and how it's impacting relationships, how it's impacting how people feel about themselves and their bodies and, um, you know, how safe people are feeling sexually. And there's things, you know, that obviously like there's stuff that we can do, especially if someone has worked already on the trauma, like then we can kind of do some repatterning and healing and move forward towards healthy sexuality or I mean, I, I think that word is maybe loaded, but towards like a um, satisfying sexuality, um, you know, I think that's possible. But yeah, it's uh, it's a topic that is so um, it's just too prevalent. It's too you know, it's too much. Mm-hmm. And then you dig deeper, and it's like how many of the perpetrators were also victims at one time? Yeah, and then it's like so. Then yeah, so then there's like almost like a moral conflict. It's like, do I feel empathy or do I want to punish or it's like, ah, it's so gross yeah. and just yeah. constant. And, and even like some of these young male shooters, like how many of them were like, are angry. And yeah. the reason they're vulnerable is because of some kind of sexual trauma or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah. Ooh, it's a yeah. big subject. It is. And, you know, <laughs> it's, it's funny. They like in the, um, I mean, that's not funny as important, but like in the, in the call that I was attended the other day that, you know, they said like the one thing that they um, also do is like, make sure that the perpetrator is safe and gets the support that they need. And and my brain just went like, no, you know, but like, it's just really about thinking more towards that restorative um, justice as, as, um, something that's needed, uh, you know, as well in, in, um, especially in like, you know, well, really every place, but like, I'm thinking like in a post-secondary, um, institution, you know, we have a lot of opportunity to, um, you know, to make big changes for people and to have people like rethink how they're engaging with one another. Um, so here's something I almost never talk about. That's mm-hmm. something I've come to terms with since being proactive in my personal growth. Mm-hmm. And it's something I, I rarely hear about, but as a young man, young boy, actually it started when I was really young, um, I was involved in sexual trauma mm-hmm. with 
other boys my age. Yeah. And that's, I don't know, it's weird. It's like, I don't feel like a victim. Like, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I was perpetrated upon, but I do mm-hmm. consider it sexual trauma because it fucked up my, my, you know, my thoughts on sex and like, you know what I mean? Like it, it, yeah. it, yeah, it was, it was still traumatizing. And it, it was funny. I, it wasn't until I got sober and I started doing a lot of this work. So it's maybe been about a year that I've really even told anyone about it. Cause it was like, I just, it was just like, that never happened. Or if I did think about it, it was just like, oh, it was just something that happened, whatever, like, you know, push yeah. it aside. And, it, but it was like within the last year, it started to feel like ouchy and icky. And it was like, um, like, why is this, why is this bothering me now? Why is this coming up yeah. now? And why am I having to deal with it now? And like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. why aren't I like, you know, I've been working on myself for decades. Like, why is this now a thing now? Why now? Why this now? Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. What's next? Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, it's like, that and, onion yeah. of healing. Hey, yeah. <laughs> like one layer. Oh, Ugh. Ugh. get down so. to those roots. Yeah. yeah, that's something I don't hear much about is like the child on child and like, yeah. um, just, yeah, it's not, like I said, it's not, it's not even a feeling of like being a victim, but it was, it was a, I was a victim of trauma, but I wasn't a victim at someone's mm-hmm. hand, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. it's weird. It went on for years and it was like, mm-hmm. <sighs> oh, Robin, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like some of it. Yeah. I don't want to get too much into it. Cause yeah, yeah it's I hard. Yeah. But then, yeah, I don't, yeah, it's weird. It's um, well, first, like, I think, um, again, you, I, I, I just need to say like the, the show and what you do um, is so important. Um, the conversations that you've had, the conversations that I've heard you have and the things that I've heard you share and the things that you share on social media um this destigmatizing work and these conversations and like what you just said um right now um like that's so important because there are people who are listening who are like it's safe they're you know it that they see you know that there is some safety um in starting to open up these conversations because that you know, there's there's so many layers to why you would probably want to keep that kind of conversation like to yourself, right? Um, and so many like, you know, but like to just open the door like that and to share, I think is like, um, that's so powerful. And, um, you know, if you if at any point in time, you felt powerless in those situations, or you felt, um like that your agency or your choice was taken away. Like it's, I think also important to know that like that wasn't your fault. Mm-hmm. I think the most fucked up part is I don't think I felt that way. It just, yeah. it was, and that's the part I, I think of a struggle with a lot is like, yeah. uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's weird. Yeah. And, and that's okay too. Right. Like if you don't feel that, you know, there's still, I feel like the perpetrator sometimes is what it feels like, honestly. Yeah. 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 Which is the fucked up part. Yeah. Cause you know, when something feels good, especially when you're like a kid and the same thing's happening all the way through up to like 17 years old 
And then it's like, what the fuck? Wait a minute. Was I, maybe I was, I don't even know. Like, I don't, I'm going to be honest. I haven't done a whole lot of work on this. Yeah, (laughs) I've talked to a few people and they basically just said, you know, just be gentle with yourself. You're, it happened when you were young and it kind of fucked up your whole, the way you look at sex and stuff. And Mm -hmm. so anyway, um, yeah, it's, which I think like, would it have made a difference and you don't have to answer this and, and, you know, you can just say, okay, I'm done. Um, but like, what if when you were a young person, like you were able to have like conversations about sex with adults where you could ask questions about what you were experiencing? Um, or like, you know, like, I, I think like, like I'm 45 Where? years old and I'm th- and like that question, am I normal? Like that's, I'm, I'm yeah. still thinking that like, was this yeah. normal? Am I normal? What was like, should I feel guilt or should I feel, right? Um, what's the opposite of guilt? Not like a victim, but like that, you know, should I feel like yeah. I had trauma? Is this, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, well, I, I know I'm not a perpetrator. I know I wasn't a perpetrator, but still at times it's like, you know, I mean, I, I'm a weirdo. I spiral when I think of the worst possible things. <laughs> Again, right? Like this is, um, you know, I I'm think victim like, blaming myself, ADHD. right? And let's talk a little bit about like, let's talk a little bit about ADHD and sexuality. I think like we only scratched the surface. There's so much <laughs> with ADHD and sexuality. Okay, good. Cause I've heard nothing about this. Yeah. Everything that we do um as people and again like i'm super generalizing like everyone has different experiences and different like ways of experiencing adhd but like i know for me impulsivity is like a big thing Hmm. right Mm -hmm. and um pleasure seeking because dopamine right Mm -hmm. right we're always like okay where's that next fix of dopamine because it's like that's what helps you feel better so like pleasure seeking and um, impulsivity kind of just go hand in hand. Um, so, you know, again, like when you are in a, um, when you're young and you're curious about your body and you're feeling these feelings and yet like you have nobody telling you, um, you know, how to interact with these feelings or how to engage um, in sexual relationships, like, you know, like when is, when is that appropriate time to do that? Like, who do I want to do? You know, like all, you know, like your conversations about, about sexuality aren't happening. If it feels good, that impulsivity very likely could take over. Right. Like, so, Mm -hmm. and, and like, Mm -hmm. you know, I see a thread of that through like my whole life in terms of like, pleasure seeking behavior, you know, my first year of university was a disaster sexually, you know, in terms of <laughs> of the things I engaged in, which were like, you know, I would say very similar to, um, you know, what you're describing, you know, I end up like in some guy's dorm room drunk, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this, but I'm here. Um, but because it was like, you know, I didn't have any you know, really like guidance around sexuality up to that point, I just knew something felt good. And, um, you know, so I think like that's, you know, really when we experience things that, um, you know, where we're like, am I normal? Am I, you know, it's like we needed to be having those conversations like 
at a younger age talking about like what um you know like encouraging us to self-explore to masturbate to like you know to do these things um and to understand ourselves sexually but again like because we live in such a sex negative culture and and adults you know like part of the reason why i do the work i do is to help adults feel comfortable talking about sex too because um you know i didn't always feel this comfortable having these conversations (laughs) it was always a little bit you know a little bit awkward but um you know as i've developed a comfort around talking about it it's uh, you know i i sort of do it with ease but like i know a lot of adults don't um and so you know, most adults um, have young people in their lives who who look to them for advice, who look to them for information. And so, like, we need to change the culture around how we have conversations with young people so that, you know, young people don't end up in situations where they're, like, questioning, like, is this normal? Am I normal? Um, I mean, they're probably going to, but, like, they have, like, a little bit more information going into that. Um and, you know, and I also think like, you know, there is a, there is a, in teaching young people about sex doesn't mean they're going to have more sex. They're just going to have sex that aligns better for, for who they are. Yeah. I think that's what people are worried about, especially yeah. like, you know, if it's like sex is bad in your religion or whatever it's like, you know, then yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, yeah. It's, it's bonkers. Yeah. We can't talk about that. You're teaching them how to do it and then they're going to go out and do it. And it's like, no, they're going to go out and do it anyway. You're going to do it anyway. (laughs) But now they're well informed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, you know, anybody who thinks that young people um, are not sexually active. And like, I do want to say young people like Gen Z are less sexually active than we were. And they have more information. I thought that the other day. When I was in high school, um, my hometown of Indian Head per capita had more teen pregnancies, had the most teen pregnancies in North America. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) I mean, there was only like three or four girls, but I mean, because of per capita. It was was a lot. Yeah. 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 And it was like a a pandemic of teen pregnancies going on for like a decade. Yeah, for sure. And that, (laughs) like that, the rate, like teen pregnancy rates are dropping. Uh, young people are drinking less. They're engaging in less risk-taking activity. And it's because we're talking about it. It's not, you know, and we're doing our own healing as adults, right? And that's why young people are like, feel actually equipped to make better choices than we were, you know, definitely, you know, I think we've learned maybe from our questionable choices. <laughs> don't do what i did i was uninformed i want you to be informed um i have a friend of mine who who has a daughter yeah and he was talking to someone and he introduced himself or whatever like oh yes i know you 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 have that you have a daughter and she's a real looker and she must have got it from her mom because she's a real looker too so the daughter is nine years old Wow. So <laughs> this is like, I don't know, 50 year old man. And yeah. like when I hear a looker, I'm thinking you're sexualizing instantly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe not to the extreme that sexualizing can be taken, but still it's like. Yeah. That, and I'm, I was like, wait, wait, what, what, wait, like, yeah. why is that? Women don't do, do women do that to boys? I don't think so. Yeah. 
some maybe do but you know what it's like um one of my absolute most favorite books of all time and um i always say this is like required reading for women um is emily and amelia nagoski's book called burnout um and it's it's about they call it like um human giver syndrome and specifically it's like because of the patriarchy young girls and women tend to want to fit into this role of niceness and pretty and people pleasing and so you see like right away like in this conversation between you know a father you know who definitely doesn't see his daughter in that way i'm assuming and and this other man this man is looking for like markers of gender that legitimize like this girl right like it's like oh she's pretty she's you know she's attractive like that is her value and that is the impact of like patriarchy and like think you know like that's one instance but like young girls grow up with this like expectation for beauty and expectation for behavior like right from the get-go and that hasn't changed and that impacts like so so when you know girls start to you know have sex or be in relationships but specifically when they have sex and i see this like a ton um those things are in the back of their head Mm. so then they're having sex with someone and they're not actually in their bodies in the moment they're like standing outside of themselves looking in and wondering if they're still like am i a looker right Mm. do i you know is what i look like attractive to my partner in this moment and are they you know are they enjoying you know what they're seeing like that is the dialogue that you know and and not saying that men don't experience that too um but like definitely like that's something that you know girls are are um they are socialized to feel this way um and like i you know i i'm talking very like you know in terms of like heterosexuality because um this is something that you know more more so occurs like you uh, not to say it doesn't occur um, in relationships that aren't heterose- heterosexual, but like I would say like that, again, when we're looking at heteronormativity, it's like um, there are certain sorts of like behaviors and expectations for women and for men. And those like expectations just sit, you know, in in our minds and then they come into our sexual experiences. And like that um can absolutely a hundred percent impact the way that someone is experiencing sex the sex becomes like um like almost like um like you're just not there you're not in your body you're not and and so satisfaction like you know having like even reaching orgasm or um having like a satisfying experience becomes harder and then um and then it's like if you're not satisfied you're probably not gonna have want to have more sex and so then like that's where desire starts to like tank because like you don't want more of what isn't that satisfying so it's like when you know people are engaged in sexual relationships and um you know the sex is um not what they expect it to be 
you know, there's so many layers <laughs> as to like why that might be happening. And it's not just performance. Like someone can be really great at sex, but like not have satisfying experiences or have a really great lover and not have satisfying experiences because of like all of that like baggage that we carry with us, like right from that young, you know, age of like nine, um, you know, living up to societal expectations of beauty and being like told that. And then it's like that, you know, that sort of like sticks that idea. So yeah, I mean, it's so problematic that that happens. Like so problematic. Yeah. 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 For so many reasons. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, now I always found like sex to be like, like cheesecake. Like when it's mm -hmm. good, it is so good. And when yeah. it's bad, it's still pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robin. Um, Robin and I actually are real life friends. And I, I've been thinking about doing this episode for a long time. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm glad I did. And she's just, as you could tell by her voice and her demeanor, and uh, she's just a sweet, lovely person and uh, very well informed, apparently, too. So that's good. Uh, we'll listen to part two in a few or few weeks, in a month or so. I don't know, in the future. Um, but anyway, thank you, Robin, for doing that. Uh, I, I very, very, very much appreciate it. And I appreciate you, and I, I'm, I look forward to hanging out with you again sometime soon. Please check out the show notes. And in there, there's going to be everything Robin does and anywhere you can find her on social media or website and email, I think, whatever. Anyway, it's all in the show notes. So check that out. Hey, this Monday, February 6th, I'm going to be speaking live on Instagram with a lady named Tara Nicole, and she's created a new website called Less Thorns, More Roses, I believe. <laughs> I'm almost positive. That's what it is. You, you, you just have to come and check out the Instagram to to see the live and what what her website's all about i forgot to mention last week i did an instagram live too with a lady named amy and she's a yoga therapist and she was amazing so uh i, I do have the video on my instagram account if you want to go and check out our live uh, conversation there uh but yes this monday february 6th it's at 8 p.m uh central standard time i don't know what it is for other people but that's what that is there and while you're on instagram you may as well just start following me uh that is bunny hugs podcast there's that there's also bunny hugs and mental health on facebook and bunny hugs podcast on tiktok and i got all types of stuff there you can look at um, different memes and videos and reels and uh now this week i got a really great comment from a lady named christine on facebook and she's talking about the episode I did with uh, a Nigel. He's a, an ADHD coach from New Zealand. This was a, a few weeks back. Uh, she says, hey, Todd, I'm completely overwhelmed by this episode. I'm 48 and I've been suffering with OCD, depression and anxiety my whole adult life. Some of the things that Nigel and you discussed really hit home. I've never held the job for longer than three years. In fact, my current employment is the longest I've ever stayed. It was also it was also interesting listening to him talk about his compulsive spending and not being able to visualize an object to draw or paint. Also, his thoughts on dopamine and finding those little things that just make me feel better. I also struggle with separation anxiety and lack of focus on conversation and my hobbies. 
This whole episode was so very relatable to me. Thank you for all that you do. Your show has really brought to light that I'm not alone in this struggle with myself. I also want to say that it doesn't matter how many TikTok or Instagram hits you have. Your listeners are grateful for what you do. And we are listening. Peace and love. Thank you so much for that, Christine. And uh, I, I very much appreciate that you're listening. And, I, and I'm so, so happy that you're, you're getting something from the podcast. Um, that's really what this is all about. So please, like I said earlier in the show, tell some friends about it. And uh, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That'd be amazing if you could do that. Let's see what else is coming up. Uh, I kind of talked about upcoming guests. I don't really have any speaking gigs coming up right now. I am working on a pitch letter for more speaking gigs. I, I'm actually, I'm, I think I'm going to actually seek out speaking gigs. I've done a, quite a few speaking gigs in the past and it's all been people approaching me. So yeah, I think I want to do that more often. I, I really, really enjoyed my last few gigs. So uh, anyway, I'm also working on getting some merchandise. Um, I'm only one man. I have a day job somewhat as well too. So I'm, I, I'm trying to keep everything all together and you never know, maybe someday I can, I can leave the day job and, and just focus on this. But in order to do that, I need more speaking gigs and sponsors. So yeah, but anyway, I, I would love if you could re just remember to make your beds and take your meds. Bye. <laughs>